I want to preempt talking about memorials uh, and monuments by saying to you that when we accept Christ into our lives, when we give our lives to Him, when we become children of God, when we become Christians, we become new people. The old has passed away. I, I love uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation has come. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's the only way I can face the future is knowing that God has taken my sins and put them away from me, and He has chosen not to remember them. But I also believe that as we go forward in our Christian life, we would be wrong if we thought that the Bible advocated some sort of spiritual amnesia, that we, you know, in, in our human lives as we grow in our everyday life, we learn by the things that we've done. We learn from our successes and we learn from our failures. Through them, we either become bolder and more confident in stepping out to, to do the things that we need to do, or we learn caution, or we learn to move away from certain things, and we build up a memory of what works and what doesn't work. It's how children learn. It's how adults learn. And there are memorable times in your life when you learned lessons, things that went well, and you thought, that was great. I can do this. I can, this is something I can do. And times when you ran up against a wall and found out, this is not a good thing to do. This is not something that I should repeat. Um, when we're young, we don't really take much attention of those lessons, and so we continue to do the things that don't work until eventually we come to a place of wisdom and we, we say, okay, bashing my head against this wall is not really productive. I need to change the way that I'm going. It's fundamental in our Christian life, as well as our spiritual life, that we learn from the past. And in doing so, I, I sometimes, well, I often find great value in looking at the Old Testament because much in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. Much in the Old Testament is a, a very practical lesson to apply in a spiritual way in our lives nowadays. And one of the books that I love to return to for that kind of teaching is the book of Joshua. And I'd encourage you to have a look at the book of Joshua in the context of our lives today. You know, if, if you look at what the book of Joshua talks to us about, it's about the children of Israel coming into the promised land. God has brought them out of Egypt. He has rescued them. They've taken longer to get through the wilderness than they needed to because of the learning process that they needed to go through. But they eventually have arrived at a point where they are on the threshold of going into the promised land, and God brings them in and He gives them certain instructions before He does that. And then as they come into the promised land, we see how they go about taking possession of it and establishing themselves and their successes and failures. And there's a lot that we can learn there as we step into our life with Christ. When I became a Christian, Christ took me out of bondage like He took Israel out of slavery. And he brought me into a promise that I can walk with him on this earth. I want to say to you that I don't think that the promised land is a picture of heaven. If you think about the promised land, God told them that he was taking them into a land that was exceedingly good, a land that flowed with milk and honey and that was full of wonderful things that they could enjoy. But it was also a land full of challenges, represented by the tribes of people who lived there, who were far away from God, who had rejected God, and that they were going to have dis to displace and get out of this country before they could enjoy the fullness of it. Heaven's not like that. We have no more battle when we get to heaven. We have no more challenge when we get to heaven. The victory has been won. The promised land, that the, the picture that is painting is our life now on earth with Christ. I'm walking in my promised land now, and there are loads of challenges in it. 
There are loads of things that need to be met and overcome. And for me to walk in the fullness of my Christian faith, I need to walk under the guidance and instruction of God. Now, we've spent a lot of time in this church teaching quite correctly that we are free from the law. The whole of Galatians we look through comes back strongly to the fact that we are free from the law. We are, we are in, in a dispensation, as it were, of grace. We're in a time of grace where the blood of Jesus Christ, through no earning of our own, has freed us from our sin and our guilt. And we are born again in Christ, and I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me, not because of any single thing that I have done or any single thing that I can do in the future. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. I can't work myself into a better salvation than the one that I have now. So please don't think that I'm going back on that. But while I'm living here, the way that I live affects my life, and it affects other people's lives. And I'm not a robot. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you're the same as me. You didn't get born again one day and wake up the next morning and say, I don't ever feel like sinning again. I just instinctively do the right thing. I never get angry. I never get jealous. I never get unkind. I just go, hello trees, hello flowers, and I skip through the daffodils. And life was wonderful because that... That didn't happen to me. The day after I got born again, I woke up with a great relief of the fact that Christ had saved me from my sins and a great joy in being in relationship with Him. But not long after that, I had to start facing the fact that I was still a frail human being who had to grow, who needed to go forward and needed to go through a process of doing that. And so when I look at the book of Joshua, I find tremendous teaching there that I can look at my life. These guys were coming into this land that was full of those challenges. And how they came in and how they went about those challenges provided learning opportunities for them. And so this morning, I just want to look at a few monuments, a few memorials that were erected as Israel came into their promised land and see how we can apply that to ourselves in quite a simple way. So to start off, I'm not going to read all of the book of Joshua, and I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time in, 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 in Joshua chapter 4, but... To set the, the context, they've come to the, the edge. Moses is no longer with them. Joshua is now leading them, and God has given him clear instructions. He's told them what's going to have to happen as they go in. Let me just read a couple of the instructions that he got in Exodus already. They were told this, Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I call these guys the Ites and Tites. And be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare to you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead you from your gods to do the same. He says, don't be buddies with these guys. You're going into this promised land, they get out or they die. Because if they stay amongst you, you will become like them. And I want to protect you from that. So don't make any treaties. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? He says there is a way to do this. He doesn't say, I'm only going to give this land to you if you do it this way. He says, I'm taking you into this land. 
But if you want to work, live in this land in the way that I've intended, if you want it to be the land flowing with milk and honey, then do it the way I told you. And we move on. He brings them out of Egypt, brings them to this point, and they're about to go in. And the first thing that confronts them is they have to cross the Jordan River, which is in flood. And God chooses to bring them into Israel in a very profound way. He does not take Joshua aside. Okay, Joshua, this is what we're going to do. Remember those guys who built the tabernacle. You've got some great engineers amongst them and great construction people. I want them to start building a bridge. This is how you shall build the pontoon. You shall make it of gopher wood. It shall be four cubits this way and five cubits that way. And he didn't give them instruction to build a bridge that went over the Jordan River. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get the sign of my promise and my covenant with you, the Ark of the Covenant. The priests are going to take it, and they're going to walk into the river, and you guys follow them. And that's what they do. They walk into the river. The priests walk in front carrying the Ark, the sign of God's covenant and promise. And when they put their feet into the Jordan River, it opens up miraculously. They do not go in through an engineering feat. They do not go in through some kind of fantastic uh, athletic feat. He didn't teach them all to pole vault. He opens the river up for them, and he shows them, you are coming into this promised land by divine intervention, by my power, and by no other means. This is how you're coming in. And so they do that. He stands there, or the priests stand there with the ark on their shoulder, and Israel goes through. And when they've gone through, they get an instruction. He says to them, let me find it now. When the whole nation, this is Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through to 7. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from amongst the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from Israel, the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign, as a memorial, as a monument amongst you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to people of Israel forever. And then later on, he says this in verses 21 to 24. In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He says, build a memorial. It became an altar at a place called Gilgal. And if you read the early parts of the book of uh, judges, and if you read the book of Joshua, when Israel was in real trouble, when they were doubting their, their, their ability to do things, when they were feeling fearful, they went back to Gilgal, and they went and sacrificed on that altar. And that said to them, you didn't get into this country normally. You were brought in by God. You can stand on that. It's real. There's the memory. Your children after you can come to this place and you can retell the story that the reason that you are in this land is because God did it, not because you did it. And the reason you can stay in this land is because God did it. 
I want to say to you, the cross in your life, the point when you came to the foot of the cross and came before Christ is something that you need to hold in your memory. You are born again if you've accepted Christ in your life, and if you haven't, let's talk after the meeting because you need to. If you've accepted Christ into your life, and you are born again according to what Jesus said to Nicodemus, and you're on your way to heaven not because of anything that you, are, that you have done yourself. You're in a relationship with God. You're in that relationship now and forever because of His divine intervention, because of what Jesus did on the cross. He opened the Jordan for you, and you went through. And so when you feel like you can't do stuff for God, you probably might be right. But he can still do it. And we need to go back to that place and say, there were other things that I couldn't do that God has done for me. And when you stand before that challenge of standing up for your faith at work or standing up for your faith at university or at school or in a relationship or talking to somebody about Christ or just living your life and going through the trials that come to us financially and emotionally and family and you saying, I can't do this. It's beyond my capability and I get there more often than I'd like to admit. When you get to that place, there is a place you can go back to and say, I am a child of God not because of my ability, but because of his divine intervention and his miraculous intervention in my life. So I'm going back to my Gilgal. And I'm going before God and I'm saying, what do you want? This is the sign of your intervention in my life. You know, some people say it's taken a while for them to come to the realization of the salvation. Some people have a signature moment or day. For me, it was when I was nine years old. I don't remember the exact date, but I was sitting in a service, as I'd done many, many times as a child in my Christian family, sitting in a service, and the preacher got through to me that just honoring Jesus and knowing who he was and believing in God wasn't enough. I needed to make him my Lord and Savior, and I needed to go to him and say, I need that sacrifice to be mine. And on the way home in the car, I said to my dad, I need to ask Jesus into my life. And I accepted Christ in a moving car on my way between the Strand and Somerset West in the Cape Province in South Africa. And when Satan pushes me into a corner, I've got a place I can go back to and say, that was not anything I did except saying, I surrender, I need you. I want to encourage you, look to that memorial in your life. Look to that point, that time, that place that you came to when you said, I need him. This is life or death. I need him. That's a strong place to be. That's a strong place to go back to when your experience and your training and your abilities and your personality fail. When the things that, that you can do in your own strength fail, that's a strong place to go back to and say, what do these 12 stones mean? They came out of the middle of the Jordan. That's when God miraculously brought us into the land. That's why we have a right to be here. He brought us here. Yes, but their armies coming against us. The Philistines, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, the Hivites and the Parasites. They're coming against me and I don't know what to do. Yeah, but there are 12 stones that say it's not their mind as to whether you're here or not. God said you have a right to be here, so go back against them. That's the first memorial I want us to look at. The second one is a lot more dramatic. The first place they had to defeat was Jericho, and God takes Joshua aside and gives him a very specific plan, and Jericho is defeated. And God says to them, destroy Jericho. He doesn't say that of every city that they took, but he says, destroy Jericho. Jericho was a pile of rubble when Israel was finished, with one little piece sticking up the flat that Rahab stayed in in the wall. It was a pile of stones that said, 
here's a memorial. And, and this is what was said. Joshua pronounced the solemn oath in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. Curse before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up his gates. He says, this stays. It doesn't become a thriving city again. That wasn't the intention for Jericho. This stays to say this is what God can do against a mighty city. He can take an army of unexperienced soldiers to come and fight and defeat the city because he knocked down the walls. I don't know about you, but I've got times in my life when I've been up against it and I haven't had the means, and God has got me doing things in a different way to what I planned, and he's brought success from it. I can think of specific times, and, and perhaps it's not appropriate that I share them, but I can remember one time when I was ready to argue very, very effectively against someone. They had offended me. They had challenged me. I had done my homework. I was locked and loaded. I was ready to roll. And I called a meeting, and God said to me, what on earth are you doing? And instead of us having a fight, we became firm friends because God told me to do things in a different way. They walked in, they sat down, and I said, how can I serve you? And all of their arguments went out the window, and all of my arguments went out the window, and God's plan worked. All my research that I'd done was wasted. And all of my justification that I'd lined up and all my notes that I'd made to show them, don't challenge me in this area, I know what I'm talking about, went out the window because God had a different plan. If Joshua had been left to his own devices, it's quite possible he would have come up with some kind of good military plan. Who knows? Maybe they would have starved them out of Jericho. Maybe it would have been a long siege. Maybe they would have built catapults and thrown stones against the wall. I don't know. Maybe they shot flaming arrows in. Maybe they would have had a plan. It might have worked. But what they had was a pile of stones that was left of a mighty city that when they walked past it, the children could say, what happened there? And they could say, that's what happens when you follow God's plan. That's what happens to your enemies. It was an important monument. As Israel was establishing themselves in the promised land, that was their first battle they could go back to. And they could go back and say, that's what God did. The next monument, the next pile of stones that they came to, that we come to, is a tragic one. God had said to, to Israel through Joshua and through Moses, when you go into the promised land, you do exactly as I say. Not a bit to the left, not a bit to the right. Do exactly what I say. And one of the things he said when they went into Jericho was, guys, don't take any of the treasure for yourself. Any treasure you take goes into the treasury of the temple. Don't take anything. He didn't always say that. In other places, they were allowed to take plunder. But he says, don't take anything from Jericho. And one guy did, just one guy, a guy called Achan. Achan took gold and silver and fine cloth, and he hid it away under his tent. Israel finishes celebrating winning against Jericho. They turn their eyes to their next conquest. It's a tiny little pimple of a town with a tiny little pimple of a name called AI. Two words, or two letters, AI. Don't know how it's pronounced. I think AI. Maybe I. But it's a little place, and, and Joshua doesn't even send the whole army. He says, well, guys, a little place like that. We'll just send a couple of divisions, go and beat them up. And they go, and they get a hiding. They come back. They're chased away from AI. And they come back, and they are in a right state. Why are they in a right state? Because suddenly, the sense of invincibility they've had in the power of their God, the other nations living in Israel have seen them come in. They've come through the Jordan in flood. This is what our God can do. They have defeated Jericho. This is what our God can do. And then AI has defeated them, and everybody else is saying, okay, maybe we've got a chance against these guys. 
And they look around and say, our enemies are looking at us now and they're kind of sharpening their swords and saying, these guys can be taken. God, what should we do? God says there's sin in the midst of your people. People have no bait. And so God shows them which tribe, which clan, which family, and which person. And Achan eventually stands before uh, Moses and he says, it was me, I've got it. And the retribution is vicious. He and his family and their possessions are piled together and killed and covered with a pile of stones. It's a horror. It's a horror. And I just want to stop there for a moment because when you see our God operating in the Old Testament, it's frightening sometimes. They get wiped out. And people say, what kind of a God? We need to understand something. God cannot abide sin. He cannot abide it. He doesn't dilute it. With God, sin is sin, and it is absolutely unacceptable. He cannot be with it. He cannot be around it. He cannot live alongside it. The fact that we have a different situation is because all of the sin that we have committed was placed on Jesus, and that need for that to be punished was carried out on Him. And that's why we don't have this kind of situation in the New Testament. The consequence of sin laid out for mankind from the very beginning was death, and it was dramatic in this set of circumstances. And a pile of stones was raised up, and people would go past that and say, what is that? And they were told, that's what happens when you don't do it God's way. Learn from that. It's a sad monument, but it's one to learn from. I've just shared that I had a time when I did it God's way and there was a great success and we didn't have the mess that would have come from my research. Guys, there have been many times when I've done it my own way. There have been many times that I've chosen to take on living my Christian life, not in the way that God wants me to do it, but driven by my own preferences and personality and strengths and weaknesses, and I've made a right mess of it. Probably you have too. When I look back in my Christian walk, there's some places that I just want to go. And you know, the joy is God has forgiven me when I've repented of that. God's forgiven me and taken that away. And that's not counted against me. But I know about it. I don't want to do it again. I need to learn from it. When you've done wrong, go to God, take responsibility, acknowledge and you are not going to be destroyed like Achan was because Jesus already took that punishment on his life. You will get God's forgiveness. But when that happens, face up to it and don't excuse yourself to yourself. Don't excuse yourself to God. His, his forgiveness is complete. His compassion is immeasurable. His mercy is without end and His steadfast love and His mercy are new every morning. But you know, sometimes we go to God and we say, I'm sorry, and then we say to ourselves, but I had good reason for that. I had good reason for that. And we carry this little caveat in our hearts saying, yeah, that wasn't right, but it was justified. And, and I know God didn't want that, so I've said sorry to God, but, but actually, I don't think it's that big a deal. And when you walk with that in your life, guess what? The next time that situation presents itself, you're going to do the same thing again. Because you haven't really said to yourself, I need to take responsibility for this and walk away from it. 
And in the same way, we have monuments in our lives where we can look at the power of God operating and look at the consequences of how things happen when we obey God and do it His way. There need to be places we look back into our lives and say, walk away from that. Don't do that again. And you'll know what yours are. I know what mine are. I know my weaknesses. And when you have an aching moment, the first person to be honest with is yourself and not excuse that. You know, I, I, I'm a head teacher of a school. I, occasionally, not as often as people think, I occasionally have young people in my office because they've done something wrong. And this is what happens. I'll say, did you do that? And the more honest ones will say, yes, but. I get a lot of buts in my office. Yes, but. They did it first. Somebody else was doing it. I didn't mean this to happen. And I take time with young people. Rather than spending all my energy and thinking out a suitable punishment for them, I try to take time to get them to a point where they take responsibility for what they've done and they acknowledge I shouldn't have done that. Because otherwise, all that's going to happen is I'm going to say, okay, you have a attention or whatever, and next week when the same situation presents, they're going to do it again because that's their default position. They don't think they've done anything wrong. They say sorry, and I, when they say sorry, I say, thank you, I accept that apology, if it means that you have an intention not to do that again. Now, our God's forgiveness is complete. He's a better person than me. But we ourselves need to face up to those things in our lives that we are responsible for. And if we don't, and if we don't put those memorials down in our life as well, we'll just walk through those places over and over and over again. I used to be a songwriter some time ago. I remember writing a song about this process of redoing things. And the imagery that came into my mind is walking along and finding footprints in the sand and realizing they're my own. I've just gone in a circle and come back to the same place again. So have a memorial or have those memorials in your life where you go to and say, not happy about that, not proud of that, but that's a reminder to me. I'm walking away from that. I'm taking responsibility and I'm walking away. And then... The final one is AI itself. Because what Israel did was Israel repented. Joshua went back to God and said, we've sinned. God said, right, here's the plan. And you know what's fascinating about AI? It was a proper military plan. It was something that Napoleon would have thought out himself, or the Duke of Wellington or Shaka Zulu or one of the great generals of the past might have thought out. It was an intricate military plan. Put a bunch of guys behind the city, put a stopper group on one side, you attack from the front. When they come out, the guys from the back come into the city. They attack it, they set it alight. When the guys see the city's being set alight, they'll turn around. You go after them, the guys come in from the side, and we've got them caught up, and that's how we defeat them. And it used their military skills, and it used their thinking, and it used discipline, and it was a completely different plan to what had been done at Jericho, but they won and they destroy the city, and they heap up a pile of stones at the beginning of the city. And it says there is restoration in Christ. There is restoration in God. And sometimes you do do it differently. Sometimes you need to do your bit. He will utilize your skills. He will utilize your abilities. It's not always the same. I want to encourage you to learn. There are some Christians that are 10 years in their Christian walk, and they have 10 years of experience and growth. And there's some Christians who've been with Christ for 10 years and they've lived one year 10 times. 
Same mistakes, same problems, same lessons that need to be learned over and over again because we're not taking responsibility for growth. We are free from the law. We are not earning our salvation. We cannot change our love, the love that God has for us by what we do. But we can be more effective here and we can live a life that is in line with His plans and is changing other people's lives. You know, if you look at what really, really concerns Israel when they were defeated by Ai was everybody else looked at them and said, you've lost. One of the first things that gets damaged when we don't learn from our mistakes is our Christian testimony. If I just keep on doing the same, I excuse my temper or I excuse the unkind way I speak to people. And as a Christian, I keep doing it. That damages my testimony. If God is saying that thing must be out of your life and I'm ignoring it, He's not going to reject me. He's not going to cast me into the pit but I'm not going to serve him in the way that I should. I'm going to keep hurting people in the same way. So I want to encourage you. You don't have to have a London full of statues in your Christian walk. But God said to them, raise up these things to go back and look at. Have a Gilgal. Have a Jericho. Sadly, you probably will have an Achan. And have an Ai. Places you can go back to and say, when I work this way with God, this works. This is the way that he wants things to go. Because then he says to Joshua, if you do that, then you will succeed. You know, the sad thing is when we read on in the story, they didn't do it. book of Judges is all about the fact that they didn't do it. They left the tribes behind. And I want you just to remember this. This is really, really important. The tribes in the promised land that they were to conquer and chase out don't represent people in my Christian life today. Non-Christians are not the enemy. We are not supposed to enter into our Christian life and drive them out. The tribes represent lifestyle and thought processes and sinful ways that we live. It doesn't represent people. Guys, Jesus died so that all could come to salvation. I, I get so sad when some Christians seem to think that non-Christians are the enemy. They are the reason that we are here. They are the joy of God's heart when we bring people into Christ. So please don't take this comparison I've got and say, okay, there are people in my life I need to drive out. And do. It's not what we're talking about. That refers to lifestyle, to thoughts, to sinful nature, to things that we need to conquer and drive out. But we need, we're not going to work our way into heaven. We're not going to earn God's love. But by applying ourselves to what God says, we're going to become more effective in the kingdom of God, and we're going to change more people's lives. And we're going to bring that joy to him of seeing us walk in his path. That's my encouragement for you this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's such an exciting book. I thank you for the New Testament and for all the teaching we receive. I thank you for the Old Testament and how it confirms things in the New. Lord, it sounds facetious to say, but you're so clever. You're so wonderful in how you teach us and how you give us this wonderful resource. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. Give us the courage to learn and to grow as we go forward. Thank you that our salvation is through Jesus Christ, through no works of our own, that, Lord, your divine intervention has brought us into this relationship with you. At the same time, Lord, I ask you to help us to make the most of this relationship and to live it well. Lord, we pray a blessing on those of our family that at this church who are not with us this morning, Anson and Helen and others who are away on holiday. We just pray for this week ahead when we're not getting together on Sunday that you'll just lift each family individually and we look forward to getting back together with all those that have returned and come back in September. 
and rejoicing and rejoicing and worshiping together. So thank you for this morning, Lord, and thank you for what's to come. Amen.